All right, Jason, we've got Sheila Ray Gregoire on. She wrote a book called The Great Sex Rescue. Yes, and she is brilliant and um, able to talk about anything. <laughs> you will hear the word orgasm yes. on this podcast yes. more than you've heard it in my, possibly yeah, in your lifetime. Maybe more than I've said it out loud. But all of it with a view towards recovering what God intended. Yeah. Not just where sex is concerned, but yeah. with intimacy, yep. with marriage, yep. with our relationship with the Father. What I love about her and, and a lot of this conversation focused there was that when there's a transactional nature to our relationship with God, it's not surprising that that becomes how we connect with everyone, including our spouse and, and how we view sex and that relationship. Yeah. Uh, so we very much are diving into the nature of relationship, the nature of trust, the nature of intimacy. And then she gets very specific. She did a study with, it's the largest Christian study, 20,000 women yeah. were um, surveyed. And a lot of questions, a lot of it about what's taking place right in the bedroom. Well, and exposing a lot of evangelical teaching that has really a warped view of sex yeah. as the way yeah. God intended yeah. and uh, and dismantling the um, you know husband has to be obeyed right. principle which right. we've all heard right Sheila's so practical yes uh, and so I feel like she just looks for that fruit and if there's no fruit let's find out what will be fruitful yeah it's a deep dive that she did in this uh, this survey and in this data, this research. So everything she's talking about is backed up by facts, uh, including um, just dismantling some of the uh, misinterpretations and assumptions that we've made where the Bible's concerned yeah, yeah. in how relationships, how marriage, how intimacy uh, should look like in, in the kingdom. Yeah, and, I, and we even get at the end, we actually get to those that are single, those that walk through divorce, your children who are growing up. Um, she's got a lot of resources and a lot of wisdom in all those areas. Yeah, and she's a Canadian. She's a Canadian. So I was outnumbered on this Canadian. podcast. Yes, two to one. I don't know if she said a or about, <laughs> but or sorry, but uh, it was fun talking with her for sure. She's incredible. Great to have you here. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we've got your book. Awesome. Just so. You know, my wife and I have read this and we are huge fans. She's a little jealous of me today doing this <laughs> podcast and she doesn't get to hang out with you. But uh, thank you so much for writing this book. I mean, yeah. this uh, this great sex rescue book, the, the level of research that went into this book uh, is off the charts. I mean, you did a huge, huge survey. Mm -hmm. um, all of it's based on data. It's so well sourced. I just have to tell you that I... I love everything about this book. I've been following you on Twitter. I love everything about you on Twitter. And uh, we may get into that. We may not. We'll see. My, my wife, before I left the house, she actually said, tell her that I like the way that she's like Beth Moore. She stands up for herself, but she's still kind of kind and and respectful in right. the process. And I thought, that's that's really cool. That's a high compliment. That's a, that is. Yeah. But um, this uh, this book, The Great Sex Rescue, the lies you've been taught and how to recover what God intended. I think, I think in light of the title of our podcast, which is rethinking God with tacos, we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. I think you have helped people rethink God in this area yeah. of intimacy, sexual pleasure, uh, God's design for sex. 
and even helped people rethink the whole purity culture coming to, I think, a place of wholeness that's really helping people rethink uh, who God is and consequently rethink what their sexual lives should look like. What has been the biggest thing that you're rethinking God in? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. One of the best compliments that I get from people is I thought I had to leave the church because I was so disillusioned. But in reading your book, I found Jesus again. That's awesome. And this is a sex book. Right. It's not, you know, <laughs> but, but so much of intimacy really is the heart of God. Yeah, right. And the problem is we've taken sex and we've divorced it from real intimacy and we've yeah. made it into duty and obligation and shame. And that's actually the same thing that many churches have made people's relationships with God into duty and obligation and shame. Wow. And so when you start to unpack how we approach sex in a negative way, you start to see the parallels with the way that we see God yeah. in a negative way. Yeah. And it can actually help us find the beauty and intimacy again in all levels. I, yeah. Yeah. I was on the back porch with my wife this morning and I had been prepping for this conversation. And so I, we were listening to one of your, your podcasts, another podcast and talking through, and we've been married 25 years. And we were like, where was she 25 years ago? And, uh, <laughs> as we were processing through, but the conversation actually broke down to what you just said. The conversation that we were having was one about intimacy. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer and, and, and I write about, um, I've written several books, but they're all about one thing. They're all about the love of God and they're all meant to bring you into deeper intimacy. And I told my wife, I said, she's basically revealing that what we believe about the nature of God impacts everything. Mm -hmm. And and we have a statement that I say, you can't have intimacy with someone you don't trust. Yeah. And what I'm writing, I've applied that to the nature of God. And, and I, and I saw what you're running at is this rethinking of God that um, has, you know, if you can't trust God, you can't have intimacy with God. And just so mm -hmm. in the context of relationship with your wife, if you can't navigate trust, then there is no intimacy. So I feel like what you're doing is, practically bringing us back into understanding, but also introducing that the whole point of this thing is intimacy and trust. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and intimacy and mutuality, I think can't really be divorced from each other. Yeah. And I think that the conversation around intimacy and marriage has largely um, ignored mutuality and you know um the idea has been he needs to get his needs met you need to meet his needs and when you do that you will feel close yeah but it's then erased her needs and god doesn't approach us that way yeah you know god says you matter too and yeah. in order to have real intimacy you have to have two people who both matter <laughs> yeah that's good. um and and what too often the evangelical church has done is elevated one person's needs, specifically the husband's over the wife's. And that's really right. wrecked sex for everybody. And so we're trying to rescue it from that. Yeah, no, that's so good. I was listening to a podcast that you were on. Um, and uh, just so you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church here in Charlotte. And, and in 18 years of pastoring, we've been through the love and respect. We've been through Gunger's material. We've been through every man's battle. We've been through all the stuff. And you, you mentioned all of these uh, by name. You mentioned 
a lot of the error that has been embedded and interwoven into, uh, you know, the theology of those those books and the concepts. And I'm looking back now, of course, I'm the kind of pastor where it's like, yeah, you know what? Big mistake. Sorry. Let's not go that direction here. Let's go this direction. I'm on the journey with you. But when you came along and began to speak specifically to a lot of those certain things uh, that were um, very male oriented Mm -hmm. in terms of being like the head of the household, I can't not tell you how many men feel so much pressure to be the quote head of the household when they're actually in practice already doing a mutual mm-hmm. uh, arrangement and, and, and relationship that's really healthy and beautiful, but they think they're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> and you addressed that in this podcast. You said you wished pastors would preach what they practice instead yeah. of just trying to preach what they think they should yeah. you know, be preaching. And that's been the case in my life personally and in a lot of the, the relationships that I see in our church. And that is that they, they practice the mutuality. They practice the, um, the agreement. Uh, for my wife and I, uh, there's no tiebreaker decision maker. Mm-hmm. It's If we're not in agreement, we don't make the decision. Mm-hmm. It's a timing issue. So everything that's done is done in agreement. So would you speak into that a little bit about that myth yeah. that the man has to be this like tiebreaker decision maker and uh, and the pressure that that puts on them? Yeah. So think about think about how many people teach that. That is the teaching in the evangelical church, right? Like when you ask, mm-hmm. if you were to ask people, what does it mean that a wife submits to the husband? Everybody would hem and haw. And finally, they would come up with a definition that is something like when they can't come to an agreement, he makes the final decision. Right. I've heard it. So for her to submit means he makes the final decision because that's, that seems to be the only definition we can ever come up with. I don't think that's the proper definition, but anyway, that's a discussion for another time maybe. But, (laughs) but what we looked at was we asked, okay, how many people believe that, that he should make the final decision? And a large proportion of evangelical Christians believe that. But then we said, okay, in your decision-making, how does it actually work? And like, I think it was 78.9% of people make decisions together. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people believe he's supposed to make the final decision, but that's not what they do. Right. And if they do it, if they operate in such a way that he makes the final decision, even if he asks for her input first. So even if they talk about it, but then he makes the final decision, right. your chance of divorce increases 7.4 times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this wrecks marriages. Yeah. And what I find what I find so interesting is like Emerson Eggerich in Love and Respect, he said one of the reasons marriages are breaking down left and right today is that we have two equals at the head and you can't have that. You need the man to make the final decision. And he makes this statement with no references to any studies Mm -hmm. that he just, he just states that like it's a truth, but he doesn't back it up with anything. And so what you were saying about our data, like that's what we wanted to do with this book was we wanted to say, we're no longer just going to make statements. <laughs> like this is this is the way the world must be because this is the way we've always talked about it. We're actually going to look at the data because Christians are really bad at doing this. We don't like looking at data. We look at the Bible and we say, this is what I think the Bible says. And so yeah. this must be it. Right. And we said, no, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Mm-hmm. A good tree can't bear bad fruit That's good. and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. So if we look at the fruit of different teachings, you can see which ones are correct or not yeah. based on 
um, mm. like what where the fruit is. Yeah. And so what I'm asking people to do is to re-examine our basic assumptions yeah. and actually go to the data. So we surveyed 20,000 women, largest survey that's ever been done um, in the Christian world. And we figured this out. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. And let me let me just put a plug in for your book right here. The Great Sex Rescue. Um I, I recommend everybody go and grab a copy of this. Uh, you will learn so much uh, from this book and from the data that you've compiled. I mean, chapters like, you know, uh, bridging the orgasm gap, mm-hmm. uh, one of my faves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you deal you deal with porn as well. And, uh, and the statement that the woman's supposed to be the methadone for the man. I mean, I yes. remember hearing that. I literally remember hearing that growing up in the church and in that culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a, as a pastor dealing with people's daily lives in and out, the the one thing that I found for sure was like, none of that is working. Like zero of those mm-hmm. things are working mm-hmm. for either party. Mm-hmm. And what, what I see in your book is like, hey, this is what is actually producing fruit. This is working to help mm-hmm. bring intimacy um, back where it should be in, in this marriage relationship and for mutual satisfaction, uh, for mutual responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I absolutely love it. I mean, my wife and I are huge fans and <laughs> we, we are now like saying, okay, will you please get some curriculum together? Can you get something that we could yeah. like roll the roll into the church? Cause that's, I think a lot of pastors are looking for something that they can kind of like plug and play. Yeah. And, um, and this is just so, so good. Yeah, well, we've got we've got a free eight week video stu- stu- um, study with it, but I think it's probably mostly women that are going to be taking it. So we'll have to think about doing something for both men and women because that would be, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I really think, and I I really believe that most guys, like the vast majority of Christian guys, are good guys, and yet the way that so many evangelical books talk about men. I think really puts men down. Yeah. Like the idea that a man cannot be faithful to his wife unless she has sex every 72 hours and is really um, exciting and keeps herself attractive. Like the number of books that tell women you must keep yourself attractive or he's going to lust after other women. And these are the messages that really cause women's libidos to plummet, they cause her sexual satisfaction to plummet, but they also paint men as, as creatures who can never truly be redeemed by Jesus, mm. who can never have the Holy Spirit transform them. Yeah. It's like men are only capable of getting so far and then they need their wives to do the rest of it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and men aren't like that. Yeah. You know, men are good. <laughs> and- are we? I think you are, you know, and I wish that we could, we could have a more male positive message. One of the nicest, one of the, one of the most fun parts of, of the research that we did, because I'll tell you, a lot of it was really, really depressing, Mm -hmm. especially reading through the evangelical bestsellers and seeing how many of them had such terrible lines. Like every man's battle literally said, like, you, you know, like you just quoted, when he quits porn, cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. Like, I can't think of anything more dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, love and respect. Love and respect yeah. said, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. So you need to minister to your husband sexually as unto Jesus Christ. So women don't have any sexual needs. Love and respect said, you know, so these are the kinds of things that are in our evangelical bestsellers. But then 
we did these focus groups with women after we did the survey just to hear their stories. We asked for women whose marriages had really been transformed, who had at one point had had terrible sex and now had great sex. And every single one of them told us about husbands who were amazing. Mm. Um, because what a lot of guys don't realize is that women are getting really bad messages that men aren't getting. And so when I tell men, your wife has been taught the obligation sex message, that she has to give you sex every 72 hours, or you will lust, watch porn, or have an affair, um, or God will be angry at her and she yeah. will lose God's acceptance and love. And they're like, no, she hasn't. Like, you're just making this up and you're just trying to bash on all these books. It's like, no, you don't know that because women read 70, like the vast majority of books, 76% of nonfiction books are bought by women. And it's women who go to women's Bible studies where marriage books are read. So most men haven't read this stuff. They don't know what's in these books. Um, and most guys, when they hear what their wives have been taught are actually quite upset about it <laughs> and want, you know, and want to want to help their wives overcome this because what we found, and this is, this is one of the things we were thinking we'd find. So, and I'm kind of glad we did, but is that a lot of the reason that women have trouble reaching orgasm, that women have bad views of sex, that women just have trouble with sex in general is not necessarily because of their husband's but because of what they've been taught in church mm, yeah. and in Christian circles and in yeah. Christian resources. And so if we can just change that teaching, we can revitalize marriages. You're defining sex. It's been defined improperly. Mm -hmm. We're 25 years in, my wife and I. You know, I think we have one book back then. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Joy of Sex. Was that it? Yeah, that was, was that a yeah, book? Yeah, that was I, a book. I, I think we read that. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure it didn't answer all the questions. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> men are wanting intimacy just as women are wanting intimacy. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were created for. That's the whole point. And yet there's so many misunderstandings and so much uh, transactional mm -hmm. uh, language. Mm -hmm. Uh, and teaching around sex. Mm -hmm. So the ability to talk about this uh, from a, from a self-control uh, intimate perspective, if you were to just give us, what is the definition? Well, first of all, the question, what is sex? And this is, this is the fundamental problem that we have. I think when it comes to figuring out how to make sex good is that we fundamentally misunderstand this. Cause if I were to ask you, did you have sex last night? Which I'm not asking you, you do right. not have to answer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if I were to ask you, what you're thinking I'm asking is something along the lines of, did you put your penis into your wife's vagina, move around until you climaxed? Like that tends to be our definition. Right. That's intercourse. And that certainly is a part of sex. But when you, the problem with that definition is she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. Like she could be not present whatsoever. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she could be lying there in emotional turmoil mm -hmm. Or she could be lying there in physical pain yeah. and it would still count as having sex. She could even be raped mm -hmm. and it would count yeah. as having sex. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And yet when you look at the Bible, that's not how, when God talks about sex in a positive way, that's not how he defines it. Yeah. Like in Genesis 4 verse 1, we read that strange verse, which we all laugh at as kids, you know, and Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. And we all think, oh, God's embarrassed of the real word. But if you look at that word to know, it's the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search yeah. me and know me, oh yeah. God. Yeah. It's this deep longing for yeah. connection. That's it. Yeah. Right. And so God is saying, 
sex is more than physical. It's an intimate longing to know each other inside and out. So we know it's intimate. We know from Song of Solomon that it's pleasurable for both. That's right. You know, both people are having fun in Song of Songs. And then we know in 1 Corinthians 7, that famous do not deprive passage, which is often weaponized against women. But when you Mm -hmm. actually read it, you see that it is totally mutual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the picture of sex we get from the Bible is intimate, pleasurable, and mutual. So good. That's so good. It's not one-sided intercourse. But when we think that sex is one-sided intercourse, then what happens when a couple gets married? You know, so you have a Christian couple, they've waited, they've they've done it all right. They haven't had, you know, they haven't fooled around, they get married, and now they're supposed to have sex. So they rush to intercourse. And she feels basically nothing, but they figure, well, now we've done it. Like, this is what we're supposed right, to do. Right. And so she, they keep doing this. He thinks she's just not sexual. She thinks, I guess I'm broken. Mm. And this is the best I have to look forward to. And right. they just keep doing this over and over again because they haven't properly been taught that it's more than that. Yeah. You know, and, and um, one of the things we found, we found that 47 point orgasm gap you were talking about how, mm-hmm. you know, other studies have said that 95, roughly 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm in a sexual encounter where only 48% of women do. So that's a 47 point orgasm gap. Right. And of the women who do reach orgasm, only 39% do so through intercourse. Right. So most women need something else so if we're defining sex as only intercourse that's one of the reasons we have a huge orgasm gap yeah huge um one of the statements that you make in your book is uh, a series of statements but sex should sex should be personal uh it should be pleasurable it should be pure it should be prioritized pressure free put the other first and passionate and you know as i'm reading down that list um, which I think put the other first is so important. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what Jesus has done for us. In fact, every one of those statements really could mirror what Jesus has done for us yeah. as well and how he feels about us and his relationship with us. Um, but that um, that put the other first, I mean, that speaks directly to, uh, as, as a man, loving my wife as Christ loves the church and willing to not, you know, lay down my life, willing to put her first in, in priority in every single situation and relationship. Uh, in fact, I personally have found that that is one of the secrets to satisfying mm-hmm. my, me, my needs mm-hmm. is to satisfy her needs. And I think also as a man, um, I don't think any man wants to go around life thinking that, well, you know, I, I just, I can't satisfy my wife. And so, you know, because you know, I, I only, I only embrace intercourse as the one mm-hmm. thing that we can do, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know how deep we want to get into that, but I'm, I'm willing to go as far as you want. <laughs> but I don't think people feel in any way more manly because of that. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I think they feel defeated and um, they feel as if they're failures mm-hmm. if they can't. Uh, satisfy their wives. I would hope so. I actually would push back on that a little bit because I really think there's a strain in Christianity which thinks that women just aren't sexual. Mm. I mean, if you read Emerson Egrich, like his whole chapter on sex in love and respect does never ever mentions once that a woman can feel pleasure. 
There's nothing about a woman's pleasure, nothing about a woman's orgasm. In fact, he actually said to women, why would you deprive him of something that makes him so happy and takes such a short amount of time? And if you're, if you're trying to convince women to have sex, saying it takes no time really means you're not prioritizing their pleasure. (laughs) So there's a bit of a problem there. Um, but you know, with this putting each other first, let me tell you one of the stories that I found the saddest from the books that we read. And it was one by Tim Keller. And we um we we took so we looked at the best-selling Christian sex and marriage books, the 10 best-selling marriage books and the six iconic sex books. We created um a rubric of 12 markers of healthy sexuality, and we judged each book on those 12 markers and Tim Keller's book, the meaning of marriage, it scored neutral. Like it was actually one of the better scoring books because most of the books scored as harmful. So it was one of the better scoring ones. It was in the middle. Um, so it wasn't helpful. It wasn't harmful. It was just kind of there, but he had this one anecdote, um, where he said early in their marriage, uh, sex was a big source of tension. And he would say, sometimes we'd have sex. And when it was over, I would ask Kathy how it was. And if she said it just hurt, we would both be devastated. And so we learned not to go for her orgasm because that was such a a stressful thing. And instead just to concentrate on what we could give each other. Mm. And, and that the giving was the most important part. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, So if you only found out that it hurt her after the fact, then you're not communicating during the fact. And if it's hurting her, she should speak up about that. Mm. But she obviously didn't feel free to. Mm. And, you know, we have um, 22% of women experience something called vaginismus, which is primary sexual pain. Christians have it at twice the rate of the general population. And we never talk about this. And so for him to say that line without explaining about vaginismus, I found difficult. But then he says, you know, we learn not to go for her orgasm and just concentrate on what we can give. But I'm wondering what exactly is Tim Keller giving? Like if she's not, if she's not receiving <laughs> orgasm, like, like, and that's the kind of advice which really works if she's orgasming, let's say 60% of the time, you know, and you just some nights, you know, she's not going to, and you don't want the pressure. But imagine if you're a couple where she's never had an orgasm and you read that. Mm. Like now it's like, well, if she wants an orgasm, she's being selfish because she's supposed to be concentrating on what she can give, not on what she can get. Mm. And this is the problem with people writing sex books who don't, who are just pastors and who haven't done the research. And in the Christian (laughs) church, the majority of our sex advice has been given by people who quite frankly don't know what they're talking about. Wait, pastors... Pastors aren't the ones that should be writing all the books. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) That's awesome. Like, you know, it's just one of those things that they're writing out of their own experience. And that may have been the right thing for them, but that's terrible advice for a lot, awful lot of people. And I don't think he even recognized it. Yeah. You know, and that's why we appreciate your book so much because you have this broad range of people that are engaged in this conversation um, to help you arrive at uh, what I believe ultimately is some amazing truths about how God views all of this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it really is. It really is life changing. Yeah. I, uh, uh, first of all, thank you. Yes. For writing this. Thank you, Derek, for making this interview happen. Uh, orgasm is said more times in this, this conversation. <laughs> than, uh, I, 
I am I am incredibly shy. I told Derek I am one of the most shy. Like I, half the conversation I had with my wife this morning was I'm more nervous about this interview than I've had in, in the longs. But I also understand the importance of it. My dad gave me this is the advice he gave me before I got married, and it was really good advice, and it's true. He said, if you do it right, you'll be having the best sex 25 years into marriage. Yeah. And and he was he was talking about if you lay your life down for your wife. And it was a little gross because my dad was about 25 years into marriage. <laughs> so he was letting me know something I didn't really want to know. But I also very much wanted to know yeah. was that the bedroom was uh, was about sacrificial love. And it was about equality yeah. and, and mutual satisfaction. And mutual yeah. satisfaction. And so I knew that going in. And your love is revival. Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast for just a minute so I can invite you to partner with us by giving to a family story. A family story is a 501, a nonprofit, and it's our ministry. And it's what allows for me to produce this podcast and other regular content. We've been living this faith journey for a long time, but 2014 was when we officially stepped away from the traditional pastoring approach to full-time ministry. It's been fun. This journey has been wild. And this last year was no less faith-inducing with COVID affecting travel and speaking. And it's been good because, hey, we started a podcast. Our passion is to create content catalytic for an encounter with the always good, transforming, reconciling love of our Heavenly Father. And so our heart through this ministry has always been that through speaking, writing, film, and music, we're relentlessly sharing the goodness of our Father, the good news. Your giving goes directly to support this podcast, as well as written content, discipleship content, teaching small group messages, articles that we release weekly, and also the book I'm writing. I'm excited about what I'm chasing down right now. We appreciate all the support, whether it's sharing, writing a review, following us, signing up for our email list, or financially. We just love being on the journey with you. If you want to give to A Family Story, you can go to afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org, and click on the Give button. All right, thanks, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. My wife told me when we were just about to get married and we were looking at our vows, she said um, we were looking for the best vows. And, yeah. and I, as, a, as a young man, I was 21 when I got married, 21, 22 kids. And she, uh, she said, by the way, I'm not going to say obey. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, that's strange. I say it. And she's like, no, you don't. The man doesn't say it. And I, I looked at it and I remember rereading it going, she's right. The man doesn't say obey. <laughs> what the heck? That makes no sense. And so that was the foundation for us. For but for us, the practical uh, learning, uh, you know. Well, I'm grateful that you're so practical and so well spoken, and and we're having an open conversation because if there was an issue with, or any hardship that my wife and I faced, it was that there was no information there. Mm-hmm. There was nowhere to find it, and anything that I was reading that didn't have sacrificial love, we innately understood that it wasn't helpful to us. For me, the biggest thing is that you really run at that the theme that I've loved and so appreciated as I've listened to the podcast and read the book is the obligation aspect. Mm-hmm. Because for me, uh, when I look at the nature of God, I see sacrificial love. I see God looking for equality with humanity. 
mm-hmm. looking for, and you find it through sacrificial love. And when you have equality, you know, a, a husband for a bride, you know, we're referred mm-hmm. to as the bride. Mm-hmm. And intimacy then would be, you know, this this most intimate of moments in the bedroom. But I, I, I'd love for you to speak to the nature of God, the nature of obligation uh, in the psyche, not just in the yeah. physical side of things. Yeah, so you've just said, God uses sexual imagery to talk about his relationship with us, right? Like throughout the Bible, we see that Song of Solomon is literally about sex, but it's also (laughs) figuratively about God and us, right? His banner over me is love. Um, So there, you know, Jesus does speak in sexual imagery about his relationship with us. And I think it's because in the sexual aspect, we understand most about what intimacy with God looks like. And God is a God who gives us free will. Right. He doesn't force us to love him because if he did, it wouldn't be real love. Right. And that's the conundrum that God had from the very beginning is that we need to have free will. Yeah. And yes, in Christian um, and in evangelical, especially advice to women regarding sex, it has not been a message of free will, but a message of obligation. So let me tell you the story of Kay, because I think it, it really illustrates this well. So Kay and her husband really enjoyed sex when they first got married. Things were working great. She was regularly reaching orgasm. Everything was cool. Um, Then she had her first child. Things still worked well. After her second, she had postpartum depression. And after her third, she had a very traumatic birth and postpartum depression. Um, And it took her a while to recover. But once she was recovered, she started initiating sex every 72 hours like she was supposed to because multiple books, Every Man's Battle, Power of a Praying Wife, Sheet Music, like (laughs) multiple books and multiple women's conferences will all tell us the rule is 72. Okay, you have to have sex every 72 hours. So she starts initiating every 72 hours and she is just not sexually responsive anymore. Like her body's not doing anything. And three years into this, she just is really resenting sex. She doesn't know where her sex drive has gone. She resents her husband because he's having all this fun while she's not. And she sits down with him and she says, I can't do this anymore. And they have a really open conversation about it for the first time. And he said, I don't ever want you to do anything just because you feel like you have to. That's not what I want. I don't want duty sex. So from now on, even if we're in the middle of intercourse, If you're like, no, I'm done. I don't want this. I've changed my mind. He said, we are going to stop. No matter what, we're going to stop because you're never going to do something you don't want to do. And over the next few months, he proved that to her, Mm. that she wasn't obligated. And she said, I felt my sex drive return. She slowly started to be able to orgasm again. And they settled into a whole new routine. They only initiated when they want, when somebody wanted to. And now they have sex every 72 hours. (laughs) So it's still every 72 hours, but it's totally different because it's not because she has to, it's because she wants to. Right. And, and what we found in our survey is I think there's this, there's this worry that if we don't coerce or bribe or threaten women into having sex, they're not going to have sex. And so we need to give them this obligation sex message. And it goes along with this idea that sex isn't for women, that there's no reason for women to want sex. But what we found is that if you have really good marital satisfaction, if she is regularly reaching orgasm, and if she feels emotionally close to him during sex, the frequency totally takes care of itself. Sure. Like if those three things are happening, sex is not going to go for once a month. Okay. (laughs) Like there's this myth that women just just give up on sex for no reason. And what we found is that frequency 
is a marker of what's going on in the relationship. Yeah. Mm. And so instead of talking about frequency, we need to be talking about marital satisfaction. Does she feel close during sex? Yeah. Because so many guys have trained themselves on porn. And so they need, they depersonalize during yeah. sex and she feels yeah. very distant. Um, and, you know, and is she regularly reaching orgasm? Because if those things are happening, then sex is going to work. But if we're just giving her the obligation sex message, that is the worst message that she can have for her libido, her orgasm rates, her rates of sexual pain. It wrecks everything. And you're, you're having a conversation that is you've just given us practical ways to build trust because mm -hmm. trust is the thing that ultimately, uh, it, it, as you're saying, it all takes care of itself where there's mm -hmm. trust, where trust continues to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a lot of times what's missing is that aspect. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that what you're saying? A lot of times, um, whatever the reasons, whether it's uh, objectification or the sense of obligation, mm -hmm. uh, it, those are breakdowns in trust. Yeah. And without that, you really can't have access to intimacy. Yeah. And a lot of women feel very objectified, especially in the church. You know, um, when my daughter was 11, my youngest daughter, when she was 11, her Sunday school teacher told her, you can't wear V-necks anymore to church. You need to watch what you wear because now that you're developing, sure. men are going to look yeah. at your chest. Yep. I mean, we had a terrible time getting her to church for the next few weeks. She was so traumatized by that. That's a terrible thing to say to right. an 11-year-old. Yep. Yep. Um, but if you talk to evangelical women, almost all of them have stories of what they were told yeah. when they were hitting puberty about how they were now a stumbling block to men, um, even elders, pastors. Um, yeah. So many teenage girls who, who, who will tell you that pastors would comment on what they were wearing. Um, and it's, it's re really traumatizing. And so you go into church and you feel like my body is dangerous. Yeah. My body is dangerous. And all these men are looking at me yeah. and wanting to use me. And I honestly think that is a very shaming message that we're giving boys as well. Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. Because we're basically telling boys that sexual attraction and lust are the same thing. And they are not, yep. you know, right. like you can notice a girl's attractive and not lust after her. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We're raising a whole generation of boys to feel, to feel guilty for normal yeah. biological reactions. And right. for no like, I know, like people notice, like you're not, you're human. The, Jesus did not say whoever sees a beautiful woman has committed lust. He says whoever yeah. looks with lust yeah. has committed adultery, right? So it's, it's a deliberate action and a deliberate mindset. And so if you're 14 years old and you notice that a girl has a tight sweater on, that doesn't mean you've lusted after her. And I think that, that we need to free guys for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and not only is it in a way giving them a pass, it's shifting the responsibility, right. personal responsibility mm -hmm. to the person that shouldn't bear it, to the woman, well, and, to the and, girl. It's like, this is not your responsibility. I have two daughters, two daughters, and yeah. um, to, ha to have possibly raised them with a mindset that it's their responsibility to prevent guys from lusting mm -hmm. it would would have been like absolutely destroying mm -hmm. their identity destroying their confidence um that burden is just way way too much to bear and it's it's i think it's illegal and it's, it's, it's illegal mm -hmm. to place a responsibility yeah. on someone based on someone else's problems and issues and it's unfair to the the husband that they're about to marry because now he's got to live under that thing they've 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 had to navigate while he's he's just like every other guy that I've been told instead mm. of creating some element of uh, trust. Right. Yeah, and actually, built. go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, that's a really good point because that the, this one message that all men lust, it's every man's battle, that was the one message that we measured that hurt women, even if they were only taught it, but never believed it. Wow. So if a girl is taught that in youth group, even if she never believed in herself, it lowers her trust of her, of her future husband, mm. even if she never believed it, because she's growing up in yeah, this environment yeah. right. where that's the way everyone's acting. Sure, sure. So even if she didn't believe it, that's what she's seeing. Sure. Yeah. Well, and they're taught, I mean, part of that 72 hours, is it 72 hours? Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is every three days? Part Dep of that depends 70, on if you can get the kids out of the house. Part of that 72 hours uh, is, is the, imagine the pressure that comes. If you go into a marriage thinking a man can't control himself past 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Well, well, what does it say about your ability to trust the man after 72 hours? <laughs> what does it say about his relationship with God and Good the fact point. that he, whether or not he has self-control, it's setting the whole thing up for a fail. Yeah. And, and Kevin Lehman actually says in his book, sheet music several times that during her period, she should give him oral sex or a hand job so that he doesn't watch pornography because he needs it every 72 hours. And in the postpartum phase- As though it's her responsibility. Right. Right. And in the postpartum phase, or if she has heavier periods, you know, or if she's just not feeling well, she should give him a hand job if she doesn't feel intercourse. So, I mean, to tell a woman is just, you know, pushed out a baby that the main responsibility, what she really should be thinking about is taking care of her husband's sexual needs. That's, that's, that's just distorted and really wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. And this, this message really damages women. Mm -hmm. Sure does. And, and men. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what kind of man wants to believe he can't control himself past 72 hours? I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes you feel something and you think, well, it must be true then everybody's saying it. And yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that, that was my point earlier. Just like, I, I think it's demoralizing to a man to, to feel like, well, it, it has to be done out of obligation. Like, I I wouldn't want that. Sure, like, yeah, sure. I think I think it mirrors even Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. It wasn't an obligation of obedience. It was the joy of restoring yeah. our our relationship and bringing us into that adoption relationship. And so I think so much of this mirrors um, how people have a distorted view of God. They have a distorted view of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, because they have a distorted view of of this sexuality, yeah. this sexual relationship. Yeah. I mean, for someone to, if someone was only doing things out of obligation for you, well, because I have to, you yeah. know. I mean, I I'm like, well, I don't want that. Yeah, like that's demoralizing. Right. Uh, and I think it's both sides yeah. as well. It's yeah. just, it just has been placed predominantly on the woman in our culture, our our church culture, mm -hmm. and um and. Sheila, you're helping people break out of it. You are helping people rethink God, rethink uh, how he views all of this, um, because it really has been subject to individual interpretations of certain scriptures and, you know, all this. Um, yours is so steeped in, in reality, like this works, this is healthy, yeah. and, uh, and this feels good, yeah. and this is right. I mean, those are, those are also markers for uh, the kingdom of God and that, that fruitfulness you're talking about. Because yeah, Jesus brings wholeness. Jesus brings completeness. Yeah. You know, when Jesus yeah. is present, there's love and there's joy and there's trust. There's all these good things. And so if that's not present in the marriage, even if you're doing all these things that all these books tell you to do, then, then we, should start be we should start asking ourselves, is what I'm believing 
a distortion of God. Yeah. And I, I really, I, I challenge, this is, the, this is what our big challenge is to the evangelical churches. Let's rethink all of this stuff. Yeah. You know, because when we follow Jesus, our relationships should get richer, not That's poorer. Right. Yeah. And yet the way that we're talking about, uh, about sex, especially for women, makes everything way poorer. And by extension, it makes men's sex poorer too, because men sure. don't want duty sex either. Good sure. men, at least. Good sure. men. Right, right. Yeah. right. So. Yeah. yeah, nobody wants to live in the context of obligation. No. Um, whether you're on the receiving or giving end, it's that, that's not actually a relationship. That becomes a transactional interaction. And mm -hmm. it's actually contrary to, to intimacy. You know, I I pastored for a little while, um, and in that short period of time, had was a family pastor, and, and just in that short period of time, had several interactions with couples who'd come in, and I was always astounded by, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, they they didn't know a lot of scripture, but they knew uh, wives submit to your husband, right? <laughs> scripture. Uh, and but they didn't even understand the rest of that scripture, and I would always say, listen, let's take that and set that aside for a second. If husbands would love their wives like Christ loved the church we wouldn't be even having this conversation mm -hmm. because a lot of the times the question was sex and it was, yeah. but it was very transactional in nature. I would always come back to listen, this isn't the goal. And I know it isn't the goal for you as a man. Yeah. I mean, it's not hers either, but it's not even your goal. You want intimacy. That's what you want union. You want trust yeah. and it won't ha you can't get there from here. Yeah. It's it, what it would look like uh, if you knew how to be kind and patient. Mm. Yeah. and generous and, and, and you navigated in self-control, what would that look like in your marriage? Yeah. And yeah, it is amazing how much we talk about sex. Like it is a transaction. You know, if he does housework, she'll get in the mood. Right. <laughs> um, if he talks to her more, she'll give him sex. And it, it says to women, how, how can you expect him to talk to you if you don't meet his sexual needs? Like yeah. you need him, you need his emotional affection right. and he needs your sexual affection and you know telling that to a woman oh so he doesn't want to talk to me right like he really is only interested in sex like that's not a very nice thing and the housework thing so the only reason he'll do housework is to get <laughs> sex well he made he did the di like he made the dishes dirty as well like that's just kind of icky <laughs> and the whole thing is just icky yeah it is Gross. <laughs> it's almost like you give your kid an allowance for doing yeah. chores i don't know um and that's just not it's not the picture that jesus yeah. gives us of intimacy and yeah i'm just hoping that we can raise we can change the conversation about sex in the evangelical world to get back to this you know mutual pleasurable intimate yeah. and and i have a whole lot of other words in the book but if you just remember those three <laughs> you know that kind of sums up everything that it isn't anything that's forced it isn't anything that's bribed or threatened or coerced yeah. this is something which is about us truly knowing each other and that's the beauty of it i love what you just shared because i i find and it's just rethinking god right mm -hmm. but in the context of the bedroom if you have a transactional relationship with God, then it's going to filter down into very transactional relationships, mm -hmm. whether it's in, mm -hmm. in the, in the nature of your relationship with your wife or how you mm -hmm. parent your kids or how you do friendship or how you lead uh, in your workplace or you know, your understanding of authority. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to understand the, the nature of sacrificial love, that the picture of Jesus on a cross, that, that there's this equality that he becomes fully human, mm -hmm. that he becomes flesh and blood there's this equality in nature that everything that he's looking for is relational not transactional mm -hmm. that impacts every aspect of your life and i don't know anybody who's married who doesn't 
want intimacy in the bedroom. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. beautiful thing. That's the that's the high watermark. It, it's the most intimate place in a marriage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a really important place to, to begin to understand what trust looks like and what intimacy truly looks like. I'm so grateful you're writing this. Yeah, and, and you know, even in the in the subheading of your book, basically just this one statement of recovering recover what God intended. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like that's what's happening right now. I think we're in an age of recovering what God truly intended. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I have to believe that because I'm super hopeful for the church. I'm super hopeful for, you know, Jesus, uh, like having his way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think heaven on earth is uh, a prayer that I want to strive to answer. Um, And uh, so I, I try not to I tend to not complain about the church a lot, but it's so hard not to have to point these certain things out. And the way that you do it in your book really is is so gracious. Um, you don't pull any punches in terms of pointing out issues that are wrong. But at the same time, I think it's gracious because you're bringing people into um, recovering what God intended and challenging those things. If, if we can't question if God's above question and the only answer, you know, for God is whoever the latest, greatest, biggest ministry is that says, well, that's the interpretation of that, um, then, man, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. Yeah. God is open to questioning. Yeah, um, his intimacy allows for us to come to him with with hard thoughts, hard questions. And uh, But I do believe we are in a season of really recovering what he intended, what he originally intended. And Jason yeah. and I both are just firm believers that Jesus is perfect theology that, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father and we've got to run through the filter of, of Jesus as the true identity for what it means to be human as well. So, um, and yet your book is doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job of that. Well, that's so good to hear. And, you know, I just, I want people to get that picture that, that God has this incredible, um, design for us to live truly intimately in oneness. And if that's not a reality in people's lives, that's okay. It it doesn't mean that you're doing something that you're terrible people. It just means you got some growing to do. And so don't settle for less. Like, (laughs) like it doesn't mean you need to beat yourself up, but at the same time, don't miss out on something wonderful that God has for us. And so I hope that I can give people a vision of what God really did intend. Yeah. Because I think if if the, if if our sex life can truly reflect the relationship that God wants to have with us, it can be such an energizing force. It can be such a a peace giving force. Yeah. <laughs> it can be all kinds of wonderful things in our lives, and it hasn't been that for a lot of couples. And that's something to mourn. That's okay to mourn. But then let's make it a reality in our lives as much as we can now. And let's run after that and don't give up hope. Even if you've been married for 26 years or 32 years or 17 years or however many years it is, like, you know, we can still run after more intimacy, more of Jesus in every aspect of our marriage. That's good. That's good. I know this is specifically for those that are married, but I, I know you have the ministry to love, honor, and vacuum. And uh, I know you're running after more than just in the context of marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's burning on your heart for those that are single, for those that are waiting, for those uh, that are on the journey, maybe have stepped away from a marriage Mm -hmm. and, but are believing that God's going to restore and and there's relationship in the future. 
Yeah, I'm really, I think one of the things that we've been trying to teach lately is that the church has made marriage into an idol mm. and our whole approach to marriage has been wrong because our approach has been, let's keep marriages together. Yeah. And it's a success if people don't get divorced. Right. And no, it's a success when people look like Jesus. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a success when we walk in his steps. It's a success when we achieve healing and wholeness. And some people achieve healing and wholeness through divorce. Yeah. You know, if you're married to a narcissist, <laughs> you know, um, we need to understand that God loves you mm. more than he loves the institution yeah. of marriage. That's good. Just as the Sabbath was not, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And in the same way, marriage was was made for us not us for marriage and That's so good. I, you know single we were not created to get married we were created for intimacy with god and in marriage I, we can I, experience I, that but you can experience it as a single person too and yeah. so i i just hope that we can again just put jesus back on the throne wow. <laughs> and be chasing after him no matter where we are in life um and not chase after an institution yeah. or an idea of what it is to be a man or a woman because everything needs to come back to Jesus. That is so good. That there is so much freedom in that statement. Like what you just said encapsulates like <laughs> so much freedom. Like I literally hear yeah. chains just b busting off of people yeah. that are listening to this right yeah. now. Um, that is so, so good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Marriage as an idol. I hadn't, I yeah. well, had not I, considered I, that. And that's I know very true. I, I, part of, part of why I ask is I, I know single people who are frustrated and I could imagine them listening to this going, well, how do I navigate this? And, and to be able to say that uh, the goal isn't marriage, the goal is intimacy with Jesus and then, and then trusting that and discovering him in that relationship. Uh, and, and then I know folks who, who are divorced. I also know I've been the person who is in a room going, I don't want to tell this person they should get a divorce because everything in my Christian teaching has told me that that is a failure, but she should leave this guy. Like totally <laughs> needs to leave this guy. He's an yeah. abusive, <laughs> he's not a good yeah. man and he's not yeah. changing. He's yeah. not repenting and realizing that that's the way into life and, and ha having enough years on me at yeah. this point to actually know enough about some of these stories to go, it was the way into life yeah. and into wholeness, into life and into restoration, a new marriage yeah. and a new family. So, yeah. So powerful to be able to pull those, yeah, those chains off of people yeah. and remind them that that it's about intimacy with Jesus. It's about union and oneness with God. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, Sarah and I have, I mean, countless times discussed this with our amongst ourselves, but with other people. And a lot of times, the answer is run, <laughs> run, get away from yeah. that situation, like yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, and that that's healthy. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a widower. My first wife was killed by a drunk driver uh we were only married a year and she was seven months pregnant at the time but in that one year of of marriage i uh i think i gained a lot of valuable information in terms of what not to do who not to be um so i, I say all that to say i'm a firm believer in second chances, whether that is a divorce or whether that is, you know, I mean, my situation, you know, a loss and a death, yeah. but um, I kind of equate them almost to the same thing. And I've just seen so many second chances be really, really healthy because the person grew and learned through that, mm -hmm. that first process, even, even knowing what not to do is, is sometimes just as valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, to take the shame level off of it, that the church tries to put 
put on it uh, that I don't believe Jesus is putting on it. Um, that's a huge, that's a huge step yeah. to see people be yeah. um, brought into restoration and freedom. And I think restoration can be better than original. Yeah. You know, only God can do that. He can restore something, not just back to normal, but better than original. He can do that with a life. Mm-hmm. He can do that with a marriage. Um, and, uh, and we trust God for, for that, for yeah. people. No, Sheila, are you a, are you a Canadian? I am. Yeah. Did you hear it in my voice? Oh yeah. She's Canadian. <laughs> so I'm, I'm outnumbered in this room. Are you? No, I'm Canadian too. Jason, Jason's Canadian too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We were listening to you on the deck this morning. My <laughs> wife said she's Canadian. I'm like, yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> so I'm totally outnumbered here, but I lived in Vancouver for three years. I was a landed immigrant. So I consider uh-huh. myself an honorary uh-huh. Canadian. That's right. So and- and if we were going to shift gears here, Canadians love tacos. They do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know where we're going with this, Sheila, don't you? This is this is the most important part of the podcast. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Lay it on me. Not really. <laughs> well, do you have a taco story? We, we don't take ourselves so seriously, and we really love the idea of connecting around meals. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we have a little bit of fun, just some quick questions. You got any tacos? You a taco person? What taco kind of story? taco? What's your what's your dream taco? I am. You know what tacos? We we've had tacos for Christmas dinner several times because <laughs> I love. Well, it's it, it's it can actually be quite an elaborate meal um, yeah. if you do all the fixings, mm-hmm. and then people can have exactly what they want, and no one complains. That's right. That's right. You know, and it's yeah. kind of all fun, but there's also not as much cleanup. Yeah. So I actually, it's it's my go-to meal for company. I just love it. But I do the whole thing. I do like the chipotle, like um, um, cilantro rice thing. Right, and, right. and And the, 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 you know, the corn salsa uh-huh. thing. Like I do the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The beans, like everything. Yeah. Tacos yeah. for Christmas. That's mm-hmm. a first. I, that is. That's I, the first I'm one. Gonna, I I'm going to introduce that idea to my wife. I had this vision of I had this vision of Elf creating a taco, and it had like you know spaghetti and maple syrup, right? All the stuff in the in the tortilla itself. But your way is much no, better. No, no. But like when you have to make three Christmas dinners, you know, when you got all the extended family and you're always yeah. the one who hosts, sometimes you just don't want to do yeah. another turkey. And yeah. so for your yeah, for my immediate family, we do tacos. <laughs> I like what, it. What do you? So. What about? Is there any TV show, movie, anything like that that you're uh, you guys are uh, loving right now? Oh, this is terrible. Like my favorite. I just love this. is This is so depressing. But I love Special Victims Unit. Like okay. I watch. I binge watch all the seasons. I think I've seen them. I love Mar. Like Mariska's the best. You know, <laughs> and she's given her life to educating about sexual abuse and assault. And so I know it's totally depressing. But somehow when I watch it, I just feel like justice will reign. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so you watch them back to back. That would definitely, oh, yeah. uh, I'd be dreaming about it. Yeah. It wouldn't take me long. Oh yeah. What about what, yeah. what are you reading? Is there anything um, either for fun or that's really impacting you right now or influencing you? Um, I've done, there's, there's a bit of bunch of books that have come out recently that, um, that have really impacted me. Um, the trifecta, I'm, I'm often included in the trifecta. <laughs> so Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumay. We just had her on. Yeah, The Making Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. So often my book, Great Sex Rescue, is with those three. Like Amazon will often recommend them together. So, um, But those two books are great. And I love Beth and Kristen. 
um, a church called Tove by yeah. um, by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. Yeah. Really yeah. good too. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. So yeah, I, and and I I uh, I read a ton of N.T. Wright last summer. Like a lot of his books were on Kindle Unlimited, and I just started reading them all. <laughs> and I really I really enjoy him and his podcast too. He's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. He sounds well, like C.S. Lewis. I've been to C.S. Lewis's grave, you know, and. I, I always picture C.S. Lewis sounding like N.T. Wright. So yeah, yeah, I <laughs> totally cool. get that. I like that. Yeah, I could totally get that. Yeah, next time we ever have him speak, we should just have him make a statement. We'll record it and have him say, "Joy is a serious business of heaven." Yes, yeah. <laughs> in, his, in his voice, he's not a tame lion, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Where, where do we find you online? Just so we can let everybody know. So to love, honor, and vacuum.com is my blog. And I blog about sex pretty much every day um, or marriage. I started off as more of a mommy blog. And then I gradually started more and more into sex, which is where I am now. Um, and then I have the Bear Marriage podcast every Thursday. But you can get there from yeah. to love, honor, and vacuum.com too. All my books are there. I have a my courses are there, including I have an orgasm course for couples where she's been having trouble reaching orgasm. I have a libido course, all kinds of fun things. Puberty course, how to talk to your kids about sex and puberty we've got that as well yeah wow Mm -hmm. well we're so grateful to have had Mm -hmm. you on yeah sheila thank you so much really good and uh i I, we can't recommend the book enough well thank you it's been great to talk to you thank you so much (laughs) thank you hey guys we're so glad that you are joining us for season two of rethinking god with tacos uh you can find me derek turner at rivercharlotte.com that's my church and i'm on all the social medias as pastor derek t d-e-r-e-k pastor derek t yeah and uh he's a twitter savant you gotta follow him on twitter i'm also on twitter uh at jason clark is uh and you can find all of these podcasts including season one on all of the platforms you can also go to afamilystory.org And everything's there. If you sign up for our mailing list, we send out a weekly email that has uh, articles, podcast information, and uh, we also let you know about new books coming out or events that we're uh, connected to. So uh, like, share, retweet, and uh, and man, if you could write a review, it actually does something for the rankings. It 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 does, yeah. But a five-star review, of course. (laughs) Yes. You know, if you can't write a five-star review or something... (laughs) Like just don't even write don't, a review. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like if you can't say something nice, don't say anything, don't say at, anything all. at all. I, I like that, and then apply that to this podcast. Definitely. <laughs> That's my motto. That's I like what it. I do. I love it. <laughs> so love you guys. Appreciate you coming on the ride with us. 